Hey listeners, Jonathan here. I'm dropping in on the back catalog of episodes to let you know about a very special workshop that I'm putting together in April for fans of Mindful Money. In this workshop, I'm going to be covering the path to financial independence, or what we used to call retirement. I want to show you how to create an income stream that rises to meet your rising cost of living and lasts the rest of your life. I want to show you how to build a simple, resilient portfolio that requires the least worry and effort. This is how I manage my own money. And I want to show you how to manage and adjust income through a life of rising costs and volatile market. And as per usual, we're going to bring uh, the focus back around to those things we know add to happiness and support well-being when you do finally reach financial independence. You can register at the link below, courses.mindful.money forward slash mindful dash retirement dash review dash workshop. Thanks. I hope to see you in class. Every situation is unique. And just because it happened like this for me or this for another widow doesn't mean it's going to fit this widowed person over here. But generally, if it was an anticipated death versus an unanticipated death, for many folks out there, if it's an anticipated death, they will start doing some of the things in advance that they need to do planning for this time. Whereas if it's just like it's an automobile accident, bam, you know, especially with the younger widows, and he's, he's gone, they haven't had time to put a lot of those things in place. So that. Do you think money takes up more life space than it should? On this show, we discuss with and share stories from artists, authors, entrepreneurs, and advisors about how they mindfully minimize the time and energy spent thinking about money. Join your host, Jonathan Dio, and learn how to put money in its place and get more out of life. Hello, and welcome back to this episode of the Mindful Money Podcast. I'm chatting today with Kathleen Rell, CFP and PhD. She has had many careers, including as a financial advisor. She refers to the current chapter of her life as being refired. She writes a lot about becoming a widow and has published over 175 articles. One of those articles is how I discovered her. She's the author of Moving Forward on Your Own, a financial guidebook for widows. And having lost my brother recently and becoming a bit of a financial guide for my sister-in-law, I wanted to have Kathleen on the podcast to ask her some questions to perhaps help both widows and those supporting widows. So Kathleen, welcome to the Mindful Money Podcast. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here with you today. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Kathleen, where do you call home? Well, where are you connecting from? Well, right now I'm talking to you from... St. Petersburg, Florida. This is my legal residence. Usually in June, I'm up in Saratoga Springs, New York. There was some business that brought me back for about a week here in St. Pete. So I split my time half in St. Petersburg, Florida, when it's cold up north, and in the summertime in Saratoga Springs, New York, where there's beautiful, more moderate temperatures in the summertime. Did you grow up on the East Coast? No, I'm a farm kid from the Midwest. Where? Uh, Wisconsin, most of the time. I was born in Iowa, but, excuse me, it was not born in Iowa. It was born in Wisconsin and lived in Iowa for a little bit, but then back to Wisconsin. And I did the first two degrees at the University of Wisconsin there, then moved to Illinois and went on. Most of my, I call Wisconsin home. Madison is my town. So somehow I grew up in South Dakota. And when I talk to people, they say, how come you don't have that accent that I hear you still hold on to a little bit? (laughs) Can you name maybe a couple experiences as a kid growing up that sort of build the foundation of your money story? Sure. It's kind of interesting you ask that question because I'm going to be writing an article for Jonathan Clement's Humble Dollar on growing up in a four-generation family. I thought that was just normal. You had great-grandma and grandma and mom and dad and kids all together. (laughs) One of the money lessons was if you grow your own food, you'll never be hungry. And that's part of the reason we were on the farm. We raised cattle, we raised vegetables. There was always enough food, but there wasn't always enough money. And I think that's probably why I figured out early on that for me, education was going to be the key up and out because I knew I did not want to have the hard life that my, my parents had. They both had day jobs and they worked the farm. And there were a couple of times that we literally almost lost the farm, but we didn't. But I figured I'm not going to be a farmer's wife someday, get a degree and do other things. And for me, getting that that PhD, it was like my sheepskin. It was the, the union card that opened lots and lots of doors for me. 
Yeah. I mean, I didn't have that experience, but that experience resonates because my dad and his siblings had that experience. We, you know, the ranch in South Dakota, cattle, you know, that's exactly what they did. And they did lose the ranch. And that was a rough time there for many decades, actually. So your story covers a lot of ground, you know, from farming to teaching to financial advisor to refiring. You did all that work to get the PhD. And then you were in academia for just a short period of time. So what made you leave academia? Well, after I got the degree and I I was teaching in public schools, but then you got the degree and okay, that's a, opens the door to teaching. And I started out with a position at the university of Nebraska and I was there for three years. And then I moved to Maryland for a job at a small liberal arts college, Hood, Hood college. My husband had taken a job with the world bank. So I was there and I got tenure at that point. And that's, this is the lovely ivory tower, kind of a beautiful campus. And everybody thought I was nuts when I said, bye-bye, I'm leaving. Because like, you made it, you got tenure, you're set for life. But I was publishing a lot and I had good teaching and I was doing some research, but it was just, it was time to do something else. And I went to the nonprofit sector and I did that for about 12 years. And that's where I really cut my teeth on the financial stuff. Because my degree, the PhD, was in education. I'm a teacher at heart. That's what I was. But in the nonprofit sector, I was doing development work and communications work. In other words, I was a fundraiser for it was a, a large healthcare foundation, and that's where I really cut my teeth on some of this financial stuff because I was working with very wealthy doctors, helping them make gifts to the foundation, and I was interfacing with their attorneys, with their accountants, with their CPAs, with their financial planners, and I wanted to speak the same language that they did. So I decided to go back to school again. My husband, husband thought I was nuts. He said, you got enough degrees already, but to get the CFP. And in that process, wow, this is really phenomenal. I think I want to sit on the same side of the table as my clients, though, because they're making gifts to not just my the foundation I work for, but they're doing, they're involved with their alumni from their, their college, maybe the local symphony maybe a pet organization. They, they had lots of interests and I wanted to help them make those gifts. For, so my boss at the nonprofit I worked wanted me to bring all the gifts to the nonprofit, but I wanted to help them. So about that time I had moved to the Midwest and I worked for Lutheran Social Services for a couple more years. I said, I'll, I'll help blast you out of the red, but I'm in the process of finishing up my CFP. And when that's done, I'm going to be gone because I'm going to set up my own business. So that's just what I did. When I was up there after two years, set up my own business, very small. My, my goal was to be just bringing one new client a month. And it would be, I guess you might call it a boutique practice. I never wanted to have a, a big organization. I was always going to be just solo, probably not have any help even. And I started and I was going along just fine. And then all of a sudden, because I worked with a lot of, my husband was a pastor and I worked with a lot of clergy and they have some very unique kinds of things. Like if you set it up correctly, they get their 403B yep. money totally tax-free and there's this housing allowance and it's, it's they need a lot of help. <laughs> so I worked with them, but then because not very many advisors work with the clergy, it's highlighted in Mutual Funds Magazine put me, it was a, like the top 100 planners in the whole country. I wound up on that list. I remember my neighbor running across the street with the, the copy of the magazine said, this can't be you, Kathleen. <laughs> <Just>, that <laughs> can't be you, but well, it was. But I just, boom, all kinds of people yeah. came and wanted to work with me. So I decided to expand a little bit. I added an assistant to help me with some things. But I still kept it small and mainly working with clergy. But then after my husband died and I wrote, and that's like we could do an hour just about how the book came about and how I started speaking about that. But we won't. We won't go there. But I started. Uh, I'll ask that question in just a second. I mean, that's definitely a question. I was <laughs> asked, you can go there if you want. Yeah, just <laughs> to speak on it. And then I wrote this book and the book won a lot of awards. It's real real different than any other book that's out there because there's a lot of beautiful original artwork in it. It's not supposed to be finance 101. It's just to get the widow more comfortable with, with speaking and, and thinking about money kinds of issues. So that yeah, I, I noticed, I, I noticed in the book and just since you're, since you just mentioned it's different than other books, I noticed that the to do's, the checklists, the financial checklists is like six pages and then everything else is just 
Mm-hmm. What do you feel about this? You know, go through this process, you know, the emotions, the grief. So how'd you come upon that structure of the book? Well, I put together a team of folks. There were several other advisors. There were some clergy members. There were some widows. And they were like my focus group. And as I was creating the book, it went through different stages. But And I, I would get feedback from this focus group. What do you think about this or this? And there was one advisor who really helped me with the structure, putting those steps near the front and then those other soft kinds of things, touchy-feely, you might call them, things later and the artist that was helping me with the book. So, and they even helped me come up with the title of the book and the cover of the book. So it was about 12 individuals. So I I kept, I would get an idea and I'd go to them and then come back and work from there. So it was with with their input. So did you... Did you shift? So I had this sort of image that you had started off in the, in your financial advisory practice working with widows, but it sounds like you started off working with clergy. How did yes. the shift to widows happen? Did that happen before or after uh, you lost your husband? I was doing a little bit before because most of my clients that were coming to me were middle-aged or mature or they were retired already. And so as I continued to work with them, some of them lost their spouses. So they just you know, they were in that, that situation themselves. And then when I experienced widowhood and this terrible brain fog and wondering even if I was if I was going to survive myself, if the business was going to be able to continue. And then I thought, oh my gosh, if, if I'm going through this and I'm a financial advisor, what about all those thousands of widows out there that don't know about this? So it was a little bit of working with widows and my own personal experience. That was wham, that, that really did it. Yeah, for sure. And then I, and it was, you know, I, I share this. My my husband was a pastor. He was a very spiritual man. And before he died, I, I said to him, I wanted him to talk to me to continue contact after he was gone. And he said, well, he didn't know if he could send me a message or not, but he certainly would try. But a couple months after he did die, I was sitting on a swing outside, and, and I continued to talk. I, heck, I still talk with him today. When I do one of these little presentations, I say, well, you know, I'm going to talk about widows and some other things. And I can hear him say, you go, girl, you do it. But he, on that swing, he said, you know, I got the job. And I said, well, what job did you get? And he says, I'm your chief guardian angel. And I said, well, that's great. You know, I'm hearing all these things in my head. And he said, but there's more. And I said, well, what is it? And he said, well, as your chief guardian angel, I'm on this committee. And he knew I understood the committee structure in, in education when I was a professor because I oversaw doctoral candidates going through their PhD programs. Anyway, he said, um, I'm on this committee and there are other teachers and guides and mentors on the committee. Some of them, you know, already, but some of them you're going to meet. And we've been put in charge of this. And we've got one year to work with you from the time my cancer was diagnosed, which was last December until this December. And at the end of that year, you're going to know what your life purpose is. And I said, great. Can you give me a hint about that? I'm not sure, but you'll figure it out. And I kid you not, by the end of the year, I knew that I was supposed to write a book but for widows. I didn't know how I was going to write it, but I knew I was going to write a book and that I was supposed to be working with widows. So some wow. people say, mm, that's a little, mm, little strange, but that's what the way it happened. Yeah, you, I don't, I mean, when you first started talking about it, you know, and, and I know you mean it literally, and it, it's felt a little strange, but I've had so many people tell me, so I, you know, I lost my brother about a year ago and I've had so many people tell me, have you talked to him yet? Have you opened up a conversation with him? And I, you know, I've maybe a couple times thought about it and kind of tried and sort of asked a question and just sat quietly and I don't get a response, but they say, Hey, keep trying. It comes like that memory, that latency that it comes and just, you know, keep trying. So it's a beautiful inspiration. I love that. I love that story. I didn't get you that might, from the book. Might, so it's cool. Yeah. If you wanted, you might try writing him a letter. There you go. I will actually. That's a good idea. So how did real financials change after Tom died? Well, he was a big part of the business because he was retired already and he loved oh, he loved when people would call. Those were back in the days people called rather than sent emails to inquire about your business. They called. He was right there on the phone and he would talk to him and explain what it was that we did and he would handle the, there was some preliminary work that was done before they would come into the office. So by the time they were ready for that first meeting to come in with me, they pretty well were just ready to sign on. So he loved that. I did a lot of workshops where I would go and speak in congregations about financial 
planning and about legacy planning. He liked lining those up and he would talk with the pastors and they would relive days of when they were both in the pulpit or whatever they liked to talk about. So he was my main marketer. And I didn't know if, you know, he was gone, if I was going to be able to continue the business without him. But my assistant stepped up and she took on some more responsibilities and we kept going. And we, I pulled back for a little bit and all my existing clients were very, very understanding. Take as long as you want. But I found that it wasn't, I didn't step back very long because work was what made sense to me. And my office was in my home. I had a very homey practice and it was a home that we had designed specifically for the, I, really I had a home in my business is what it was, but you'd walk in the front door and the back wall was all glass and it overlooked this beautiful calm lake. And it was a very soothing environment. You know, money is problematic for a lot of people to deal with. So we had very soothing. So I think I, I've lost the direction. I was going out in that beautiful <laughs> I was talking about my assistant. Oh, she stepped up. In fact, I sponsored her to go through the para planning program that the board of CFP has. I even encouraged her later to become a financial advisor and then to join me in that. But she said, no, she said, I can't do it, Kathleen. I wouldn't. She said, I would feel terrible because I can't pass the tests. So she just was a great para planner. She did, did a lot of things. And we kept the business small. The most I ever had at any point was about 75 clients. And then I pulled it back to maybe it was around 55 or or so clients. And I would only accept one new client a month. And I always had a waiting list. And that seemed to be okay with folks. Yeah. Yeah. How did you, you said you stepped away for a bit. Was it like, did you take a month off after Tom died or what, like three months or how did that work? No, it probably wasn't even a month. It was because there were wow. a few people that I, I just, I kept seeing. But when I was in the office doing the financial planning work, like I said, that all made sense. It was after the clients left, my assistant was gone at the end of the day when I had that empty big house to myself and yeah. it would all come crashing. The reality, he's really gone. He's not coming back. Because there was a while he, right after he died that, this sounds crazy, but I would hear a sound and I would expect to have him walk through that front door. Not crazy at all. Yeah. I think that's very normal. Did you do any work with widows prior and did that work with them and sort of preparing them and helping them through the process? Did that prepare you in any way or was it just the shock was just totally fresh and new and nothing could prepare you? I had done, I had several clients who became widows during the time that they were working with me. In fact, there was one couple that when they came, the husband said, the main reason that I want to work with you is because my wife refuses to talk with me about money. And someday Mm -hmm. I'm going to die and she won't have a clue. And so I want her to learn about it when we're together. And then when I'm gone, she'll be set. And that's exactly what happened because I worked with that couple for about 10 years, but five, six years in, he developed Alzheimer's and just slowly began fading away. But she, by that time, understood everything. And so she was, she was good to go. So it was a situation where they were a couple and then, one of them died. So it was just a widow left. And, but I wasn't out specifically looking to work with widows until after, after Tom died. Do you think that experience with her and, and maybe with others prepared you for when Tom died? We always knew that probably I would outlive Tom because he was 15 years older than me. But we didn't expect it would be that soon. Like he was 72 when he died. I had, you know, I said 15 years. It wasn't quite 15 years. It was more like about 13 years. Because I had, yeah, I had just turned 60. Celebrated my 60th birthday with him getting a chemo infusion. How about that? Yeah, fun. So we knew he was going to die first, but it was like, it's going to be a long time from now because we were, I mean, we were planning things that we were going to be doing in a year or two after his cancer came on so fast it was diagnosed in December first week in December and he was gone 2 days before Valentine's Day oh wow how much do you think that that matters in the process of grieving and recovery after a death as you know my brother died when he was 45 and my sister-in-law is, is she's going through her first year right without him can you explain how the experience of becoming a widow changes whether it's you know, a surprise or whether they've had time to prepare or whether it's, you know, at 80 or at 60 or at 40, some of those things, how does that affect the experience of becoming a widow? 
and I'll preface what I say by emphasizing that every situation is unique. Of course. And just because it happened like this for me or this for another widow doesn't mean it's going to fit this widowed person over here. But generally, if it was an anticipated death versus an unanticipated death, for many folks out there, if it's an anticipated death, they will start doing some of the things in advance that they need to do planning for this time. Whereas if it's just like it's an automobile accident, bam, especially with younger widows, and he's, he's gone, they haven't had time to put a lot of those things in place. So that's a big big one. Yeah, a huge one. Emotionally, it's, and even when, so Tom's was not anticipated until two months out. It was anticipated then at that point. You know, the doctor said there's no possibility that he is going to make it out of this. And I said, what about, you know, can I give him, he died of liver cancer. I said, can I give him part of my liver? And he just looked at me and he said, no, because then you die. Uh, So you can't do that. So we had that two months and we used that, that time to get, odds and ends done that we needed to, but it was still, it was like some mornings I wake up beside him in bed and it was, it was like, it wasn't really re- real. It wasn't going to happen. It, that was just a dream last night. It's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, I think they call that denial, right? Yeah. 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 Can you give us, I know, I, I think that the statistics are kind of staggering. Like there's, you know, so many people that go through this and it is, and it changes lives a great deal. Can you give us just a sense of the numbers? I think right now it's around, I haven't looked at the Census Bureau numbers recently, but it's around 13 million widows. When you put in widowers, males, it gets to about 15 million. There are more women than men because we outlive the guys. It's For a while I was looking at the statistics and it's interesting. I would have actually expected now there to be more than, than 13 million. But what is, is happening? You've heard of this gray divorce phenomenon where mature women are divorcing um, a lot more than several decades ago. So some of those women who might have been really widows now are divorcees now, because a few years ago they dumped Harry. They said, I'm not going to sit around with this couch potato for the rest of, you know, since he's retired, you know, I just, I can't deal with him. So they went through divorce. So they're in that category. And also the the statistics, when they say 13 million there could have been, like, like, I don't think I would be included in that statistic now because I did remarry. Three years ago, I married again. So I'm officially no longer a widow. I have gone through the widowed experience, but on the census table, I'm not a widow anymore. Right. So not sure exactly how that counts, but it's about 13 million right now. Yeah. And another interesting one is that if you look at men and women, I know that's a binary, but I look at men and women, 80% of all women, when they die, are going to be alone, not married. 80% of all men die married. So, And if you look at the average age, it's like 59 and a half that a woman becomes a widow. For me, I was almost right there because I was I had just turned 60 when I was widowed. And if we look that at all the- That surprises me. That, all is, that the, 59 and a half? Yes, yes. Wow. Because you've got, oh, you, we, you average out You've got the older women like me, but then you've got younger women who... Yeah, like my sister. Suicides. Suicides is a big one right now. And in fact, I didn't. if we looked at the COVID situation, a lot more men than women died of COVID. And there are some interesting hypotheses about that. I haven't really seen a research study, but some of them have to do with testosterone and what that does to the body. And But more men died of COVID than women did. So that 59 and a half, that figure is a few years old. I don't know if we bring in the COVID numbers, how that would would change at this point. So just sort of a side point here. I've been in the financial world for 25 years. I've noticed myself that there's a lot more couples that are working jointly on their finances than there were before. It's still very generational though. So if you work with the greatest generation or a boomer generation, very often men make all the financial decisions. I mean, women might pay the bills, but men make the investment decisions and and all those kinds of things. How important is it for both partners to play the role managing the family finances? Extremely. And like you, when I had my practice, which I did for 18 years, but I closed that out several years ago, my clients were my age and, and older. I was just, it was a good fit to work. And that's the way it was for most of them. However, because I had a lot of clergy couples, oftentimes 
in that situation, it was the wife who knew more about the money than her clergy. And that was the age when only men could be pastors in the Lutheran faith. Now, both men and women can. But so the pastor, the guy becoming in like, the Lord is going to provide everything is going to be okay for us. We're going to be just fine. And she, the wife would say, no, Fred, <laughs> if we're going to get our ducks in order for retirement, we got to work with a financial planner. God's given us a good planner to work with. And we have to get straight about this stuff. But it was the women in those couples who were generally more aware of the importance of paying attention to this. I think with the younger generations today and women in the workforce, and they've got their 401ks, and they are more knowledgeable about it than women who are my age, 70, 75. Yeah. I think that's one of the positive changes that's happening. You know, we still need to sort of bring the income levels up because I think that when, you know, a boomer generation, when a man dies, you know, the pension gets reduced, the social security gets reduced, a lot of the income changes. And so are there, when somebody loses a spouse and becomes a widow, are there any general surprises that hit them that you can speak to? Financial well, surprise. Financial. Yeah. You mentioned the pensions. I've seen that situation where they weren't aware that when the husband set up the pension, he opted for the maximum payment for life. That was going to be as long as he was alive. But when he died, there wasn't anything left for her. That was a big shocker. Insurance, not changing beneficiaries on insurance or like retirement accounts or where it passes not under the control of the will or the trust, but how it was set up as a beneficiary. And one gal... There were four insur life insurance policies on her husband's life. And so we started the process of collecting that money and everything came through fine, except the fourth one and uh, found out that he had, this was a place where he'd worked before and wasn't working there now, but the policy still continued. He never got around to changing the beneficiary on that. And it was his ex-wife who wound oh. up getting the money and the wife just felt awful about that. And the ex-wife, we approached her and said, this was just an oversight. And it really, he probably wanted that. In other words, we think he wanted to give it to his wife. And she said, no, yeah. I think he wanted to give it to me. And she wondered, my client wondered, did he really not make a mistake? Did he just leave it there on purpose for that ex-wife? So that was very emotional for her as well as financially difficult. Right. right. So maybe just getting in some nitty gritty here, what is the, you lose a spouse, what's the first financial advice you give to a widow after she loses her spouse? Go slow. Don't need to make any big decisions right away. I wasn't, there was one situation where she had received the, ins the life insurance money and the agent talked her into buying a financial product that she didn't understand what it was or what it was, it was an annuity with the proceeds from that saying that her husband would have really liked her to do this. He was sure. So without understanding what she was doing, she bought this product, which we don't need to go into all the reasons why it was wrong for her, but she hadn't really figured out what her new life was going to look like, what her expenses were going to be and made the wrong decision or a relative or a friend will have an idea of, what she should do with this insurance money and where she should invest it right away without thinking about. So it's, if she's got that, those monies coming in, I would suggest that she set them aside, put them in a money market account, short-term CD, and just leave it there until she really made decisions. And then yeah, to be good. careful of these financial charlatans. And they are out there. I can remember going to, when I was new in the profession, to a networking meeting where there were financial people attending and table next to me, the guy saying, yep, I have my secretary. He said it was a long time ago because we called him secretaries then. Go through the obits every morning and we cold call because yep. a lot of these women are not comfortable, familiar with working with money. And so he said, we don't get them all, but we pick up quite a few clients that way. So there are people that prey on widows. So yep, be, for sure. Be careful for about sure. that. Yeah, widows and the elderly, and you get a combo package when you have an elderly woman who is a widow. Like that's, you know, that becomes a target for a lot of financial, like you say, charlatans. Yeah, the fellow came to her door and she chatted with him and, oh, he was such a nice young man. And she wound up buying a product and she just loved this guy because 
every Valentine's Day, he sent her a dozen red roses. And he could send her dozens and dozens of roses with all the commissions that he made off of yep. me, So, Are there, you know, let's play it through somebody, you know, maybe it's the product or maybe it's some, what are the biggest mistakes that a widow makes, you know, that first year? Oh, one of them, which I may have even put in the book, I've forgotten if I did or not, is paying off the mortgage on the house. Mm. Yep. Because they say, well, there's, you know, this, I have to write this big check every month to pay the mortgage and I just want to have it paid off. So they'll use some of the insurance money or other money that's available and, and pay the mortgage off. So then she doesn't have that, but then she's got her, all of her money tied up in that mortgage. And so she's house rich and cash poor. Some For some of them, they, they say, well, it's too big of an expense. And I would say, well, just put this money in an account and pay the mortgage out of that account for right now, but don't pay that mortgage off. Or with the house, they might move right away. I can't stand it. I walk into that living room and there's that big blue chair where Bob used to fall asleep in every night. And I know he's not going to be there. And I just, I can't stay here. So I'm going to move. And it might be at the invitation of a relative, a son or daughter. Oh, come and live with me, mom. And had one gal had an invitation from her son to move to Texas. She lived in Florida. her, Her church was in Florida. Her medical folks were in Florida. Her lady friends were in Florida. All of her life was in Florida, had been there for a long time. Okay. Husband died. Son wanted her to move to Texas. And she didn't really get along so well with the daughter-in-law. So I had to ask about that. And she said, well, my son, and they've, they've talked and it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And, but in ask her, asking her, well, what about your medical providers? And she had a condition that, that she did need to see regular medical attention. Well, she didn't know, but she hoped to find somebody. And what about your church? This was a funny one. She said, well, no, everybody there is Baptist. And I don't think I'll find a Lutheran church there, but they all believe in the Lord. So it'll be just fine. So anyway, justifying you know, why we should go. But then the more we talked, she said, all right, I'll just, I'll wait for a while. Well, it was a good thing she waited because... Six months after that invitation from the son, he got transferred up to, he was in technology, he, up to Silicon Valley. So he moved again. So she would have, had she tra- gone, and I don't know if she would have gotten along with the daughter-in-law or not, but she would have moved to Texas and then had to move to California again. So she would be most likely suffering grief, death of a spouse, and grief, the loss of her home that she lived in forever and all of her friends and all of her connections. And yeah. Now, at some point, it may be a good decision, but not immediately, right away. To make I know that after my brother died, my sister-in-law, she was surrounded by, and locally, there's like six or seven friends that, you know, they went to high school, college together, or they were just close family friends with the family. And I don't think a week has gone by in the last year when one of them hasn't reached out and say, hey, let's go to lunch, let's do this, let's do that. And it's just, there's, she's very busy with these friends, which I think is amazing. And probably and that's, is that- That's wonderful that they're reaching out to her saying, let's go to lunch or I'll do this with you. Sometimes people say, what can I do? How can I help? Yeah. And she's in that fog, that funny state initially of, she doesn't know what she needs. So they're saying, come have lunch with me. Or I noticed the mail's piling up on the kitchen table. I'd be willing to you know sit down and, and sort- through that. Or when she's ready to sort through the closets, I'll help you to take things out and we can take them to the local charity thrift shop. Yeah. So that's wonderful. That's where I got a lot of comfort. I had one lady friend who had lost her husband two years before, and I had assisted her with financial stuff. But she started coming that first week. She came over like several times in the evening and she just she brought her crocheting with her. And there were some evenings that she'd just sit crocheting and I'd just sit going through the sympathy cards, but she was there. She was a presence with me. So those girlfriends are wonderful help. And there are widows groups around the country. There's Soaring Spirits International and Modern Widows Club that have different chapters in different locations where they meet monthly, they do social activities together and they support one another. I think that'd be like a piece of advice that we could offer people that are surrounding the people that lose a spouse, right? Is reach out and don't ask like, what can I do for you? Just show up and say, Hey, can I do this for you? Let's do this. Let's go for a walk. Let's go to lunch. Let's, and just take the lead. Cause that, as you mentioned, the brain fog. And you reaching out to your sister-in-law and, and how are things going? My, oh, yeah. that I had a, my step stepson and this continued for several months. 
every morning he would call me and say, how you doing, Kathleen? And sometimes it was just a little one minute conversation. Sometimes it went yeah. further, but he checked on with every, every morning. And those are the stories we end up telling. I know that since, you know, and this isn't widowhood, but I had a friend, my brother was my best friend. Like I'd known him for longer than anyone else. And I have a friend who sent me, she walks her dog every day. So she would walk around and take a photo of a heart and she'd just text me a photo of a heart for every day for three months. And it's a year later. And I got a, I got a text with a heart photo yesterday. Like it, yeah. it just keeps coming and it never stops. And it's really amazing. These kind of people are rare. I think that's, it's just beautiful when you see it and it's so helpful. I mean, it soothes that's the heart. That's a great example. Yes. Yeah. So there's a ton of financial noise out there, right? The core goal of the mindful money podcast or of mindful money is to help people focus on the decisions that are actually helpful and sort of ignore some of those ones that, you know, maybe affect how you feel about things, but don't affect outcomes. Right. So what are the action steps that you should take and what you, what you shouldn't take? What are some of the things that a recent widow, she should go slow, but what are the things that she should focus on? Well, if there are insurance benefits to be collected, you know, she's going to want to collect those and bring them in. Finding out where the money is, different places, and it may be in one widow when she came to work with me, it was it was like close to 30 different institutions that the husband had put the money. I guess that was his idea of how you diversify you know, different institutions. And it just, it took us months just to track down where all that, that stuff was. And so locating that, finding out with, well, if the estate has to be settled, if they had done everything in advance, like with my late husband and I, there was no estate to probate because we had everything lined up in joint name or yeah. directed beneficiary. So there was no need to probate, but that's generally not the case. A majority of the widows are going to be a piece of something or other. So there's, there'll be the estate settlement that has to be done. Coming up with some kind of a cash flow analysis, I don't like to call it a budget, but a cash flow of what's the sources of money coming in? What are the sources of money going out? And that was a surprise for which seems strange, but they were surprised that their husband's social security check wasn't going to be coming in anymore. You know, he's dead, but well, his, you know, his pension is still coming, even though he's dead. So I guess social security, no, it doesn't. And to, to figure out how it depended on a lot of factors, her age, how long she'd been married, but the claiming status on social security, whether to take it earlier or it depended on if her husband had taken his earlier, or if he was at the full retirement age, as you know, it's complex yep. to make it. A, but that kind of a decision of the survivor on the, benefit, her own on, the, benefit. on the on the flip side though if somebody and this is something that people should be aware of if somebody dies younger there are social security benefits that you can actually get you can begin yes. getting benefits for kids and benefits for a spouse who has passed which is actually that's a lifesaver in my brother's scenario huge yes and especially with the age of the kids yes that's so figuring those kinds of things out but not necessarily moving the money around with the investments, just find out where it is. And then in a oh, next stage, I've got this chart that's on my website, like the three stages of widowhood. And the first one is that big grief stage. And that's, you know, you're doing these kinds of things. And then when you get to that middle stage, that growth stage, then you're ready to really look at where the investments are and if they were appropriate. Some of them might've been very appropriate for them as a couple, but a widow, it's not the right place for it to be. And then you start moving some money as needed. When do you think that happens? Is that, is that a year or is it or is it an experiential timeline? That one year, that was a guideline that I generally use. Take a year to, to get things sorted out. I had some widows that were ready. Two ladies became widowed within just a They were clients of mine with just a few months of each other. One was late 80s. They had always said he was kind of living on borrowed time. He had oxygen and he was on all the time and he died quietly in his sleep one night that was an anticipated death but she was ready to move on to make the changes like in about six seven months another widow who uh, was in her early 60s when she was widowed and it, it took her a full year of grieving and in fact we would work with that three stages of widowhood with the widowed clients and where they would identify where they thought they were at that point. And she was the one that said to me, you know, I think I'm ready to move into that third stage right now, Kathleen. Can you talk a little bit about the resources you have on your website? 
Oh, let's see. Everything is free. <laughs> and people say, oh, you're just giving away everything. I have to remember what's up there. There is the three stages of widowhood. There are three e-booklets. One of them is about steps for recent widows. And that's actually a section of the book. We took that out and made that into a smaller booklet. And then there is legacy life planning that deals with sharing your stories, your hopes, your dreams, your loves, your aspirations for the next generation. There's a, a, one of the ways you can do that. That's a booklet that's there. And then there's one on communication, like what to say and not to say when you're working with a widowed. And that's probably, it, it could be appropriate for friends of widowed folks or professionals who are working with widows. And like, a couple of other things that are up there too. Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd recommend people go and check it out and download what's necessary and, and actually buy the book. The, I want to go back. So we asked the question about what are some of the things that a recent widow should really focus on? Are there other things that they might worry about that they really should just ignore, <laughs> let go of, or postpone? Well, in my particular situation, it's not really pick the right investment, but be careful about people who are looking to take advantage who might be potential spouses daters, things like that. When I re-entered the dating game, a very wise widow said to me, who was a client of mine, Kathleen, be careful. You don't want to get together with somebody who is looking for you to be their purse or their nurse or God forbid their mother. And when I re-entered the dating game, I met all three. And <laughs> we're all three in one package together. They, I was so, I didn't understand how dating worked. I've <laughs> been out of that game for a long time. And when I went online dating, I was shocked to learn that many people lied about their profiles and they mm. used wrong, wrong pictures and it wasn't who they really said they were. And several people thought, okay, she's a financial planner. She's got money. And so wow. be, careful, be careful about that. In fact, one of the research studies that my research team and I did, and we've got another study that's coming out. It's supposed to be out this month and I keep checking the, it's a journal of financial services professionals, and they've still got the May issue up, but it's supposed to be out this month. One of the studies was dealing with mature widows who repartnered and married or just were together. And there are there are a lot of, of us mature widows and widowers who choose not to get married. And that was me for Charlie and I have been together 11 years. I'm just married three years. I said initially, I'm not going to get married, never again. Most people thought we were married because we just functioned as a couple. But three years ago, I decided, yeah, I think it'd be okay to get married. Got married. But we did this study and came up with all, all the stories that the widows told about the guys that they were dating and problems. But then the ones that did remarry. And there was an article that was published in the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors a couple, well, it was about three years ago. Ten questions to ask your widowed clients who repartner, and that came out of the question of the the study with the suggestions. Things like, have you and your new partner discussed money issues yet? Who pays for what? Will you have a joint credit card or checking account? Shared expenses? Where will you live together or separately? And this was amazing to me. There are a number of married people who are married but they live separately and one of the widows said oh no 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 we could never make it in the, the same house <laughs> he listens to beethoven and bach and tchaikovsky and i'm more of a frank sinatra kind of a gal and he's just he's messy <laughs> but she said we love traveling together we love cruising together <laughs> and so it went on and there, there was a list of helpful things that you should talk about before remarrying at a mature age so that, that, that advice, that yeah. advice, not don't marry your date, marry your purse, your nurse, your mom. That's probably good advice for teenage girls and for 20 year old girls Anybody. and for year old <laughs> men. It's probably good advice for everybody. You know? yeah. And <laughs> a lot advice. of this, you know, that I'm talking about you know, applies to, to, and to men too. And people have said, well, are there any difference between widowers and widows? A lot of it is the same, the grief, but men tend when they're widowed, mature men tend to think they should suck it up and just go forward and yeah that's behind me now and my my current husband was widowed also and i asked him about his experience and i i said did you know talk get together with your guy friends and, and talk about your late wife and he said heck no he said we'd get together and have a beer and watch a, a game on tv or go build something <laughs> get a tool and, and build something but he didn't really talk about those experiences where women are going to be with their lady friends and, and open up more. So there, and in fact, Soaring Spirits International, which I mentioned, 
they originally started out just as a, a women's group, but several years back, they added widowers. So they're very much guys and gals and everything in between. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's there's an enormous, I think there's an enormous cultural shift. You know, I think you, you see this in women going to work while men stay at home with the kids. You see this in the gray divorce. You see this in, there's so many elements of our culture that's shifting, you know, and I think men are more able to talk about their feelings. And actually the impetus for this podcast was my brother and I were going down one path. And then when he died, I, yeah. I lost his ability to go down. He was going to provide a scale of reach because he's a techno genius and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not. And I have a, I, I have a yeah, message. I, I heard about that on your site and I thought, oh my gosh, that impacted you all kinds of ways. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm I, I, I mean, I think about it every, literally every single day for the last year. But this, you know, this is one. This is cathartic for me. Like doing this, doing this podcast is a way I'm processing and offering that message to more people that we were going to offer together. And so I really appreciate you coming on because I didn't know that I would be able to that I would find someone like you to actually have this conversation on this podcast. And so it's 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 meaningful to me, and I, I really appreciate it. Isn't um, it true that the more that we give, the more that yeah. we get back? Yeah. So for sure. You're- you're doing this to help others, but it's, I'm pleased that you say it's helping you too. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, great conversations and, you know, people like yourself who come on and, and we get to talk about this and it's great. Just a couple things I like to ask folks that are sort of not related to the topic of the day, but uh, Only two? yeah, well, there's lots, but we're running out of time. So <laughs> what was the last thing you changed your mind about? Oh, yeah, that's a hard one. Well, I, I think in terms of there are like little changes like this morning, Charlie went off to go get groceries and he said, what do you want to make for dinner tonight? And I said, well, I was going to make an omelet, but I really would like to make grilled salmon. So how about let's change this get <laughs> salmon down. So that's a little thing or a little thing like I wrote, I'm in a poetry class and I was going to write a, a poem about growing up in this four generation household. And then I switched and decided to write a poem about playing and it had to be a sonnet. I've never written a sonnet before, but I wrote a sonnet. So that's a little thing, but a big thing that I've been thinking about for a while, and I have decided, and you may find this shocking, Jonathan, I will be up for renewal next January on my CFP, which I've held this for 25, 25 years. I'm not going to renew. Huh. I'm not going to renew it. And since I retired, you know, I gave up all my licenses and everything, but I still did the encore career and I wanted to have it. I thought, well, you know, it'd be nice to still have it, but I decided I don't really need it. And so I'm going to not renew that. I'm going to save hundreds of dollars. <laughs> you hear it. You've heard it here, folks. <laughs> She's stepping away from the CFP. And it'd um, probably be a good thing to, well, I admire you folks that are still in the saddle doing all this work. There's no way that I could do that anymore. I, I mean, I love it. I mean, I love yeah. working directly with people. I also love doing podcasts and writing. So I'm kind of in the mid, middle of that transition that's myself. The writing and the legacy work and the, yep. the charitable stuff that I'm doing now, which I don't need that certification for. Right, right. I, I'm, I, that actually stimulates another question I have after this question. So I'm like stacking it up behind now. Is there anything that people don't know about you or maybe that they don't remember about you that's really important to you that they do remember or do know? Well, yes, I'll read you. This is going to be a surprise for, for several people. And it's, it was just published today. I wrote an article about it. And the title of the article is Jane Fonda and I Agree. And it's a countercultural kind of a thing. And I put it out and I thought, oh, people were going to want to know this or not, but I put it out there. And when they read it, they'll say, oh, okay. Do you want to give us a hint? (laughs) Yes, I will. (laughs) I stopped drinking totally six months ago and I was drinking during COVID. I started drinking a glass of wine before dinner and then a glass of wine with dinner. And I decided I did not want to continue doing that. And it was better for me just to say, no, I'm not going to drink wine anymore. So that will be. Is Charlie joining you on this? He only, once in a while, he'll drink a light beer after working out in the yard. And so my drink of choice now is kombucha. Oh, delicious. Healthy kombucha. I want to live. And also with all the research that's that's coming out, as a mature individual, I'm processing alcohol differently in my system than I was when I was in my 20s and 30s and 40s. And the the Lancelot came out with a a major study just a year or so ago and really said that for mature individuals, specifically women too, that uh, no level of alcohol is really safe. I had been under the 10 glasses a week or less is is fine. And I'd done that for a number of years. But then COVID Hmm. came and I was drinking 
like 14 a week. Yeah. I'm going to stop. So many people started drinking more with COVID. And I know that, you know, the liquor store that I visit, they said <laughs> COVID hit. They were like, they got so, so busy. It was crazy. Like they shut her down for a week and then it was like, oh my God, it blew up. It was amazing for them. I'm not good for everyone doing the drinking probably. And I'm, I'm just as, you know, guilty. I was visiting my, my grandson and he said, grandma, why are your eyes red? It was after I'd had, I'd had a couple of glasses of wine with his parents the night before. And I thought, no, this is it. I want a lot more tomorrows with my grandson and my friends and without red eyes. <laughs> right. Can you just really quick, give us an insight into what you're up to now with, is it refired or refired? <laughs> Call it re- refirement with a capital F. It's not retirement, it's refirement. And for me, the Fs are uh, family, friends, fitness, body, mind, and spirit. Focus, purpose, and what's the other? I have to look up here. Oh, fun, fun. Don't forget that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I purposely look for activities that are focused on that. But within the the, the charitable work, I'm I call myself an ambassador. I've helped a number of charities to set up their endowment funds, and then mm-hmm. to promote planned giving, and that's going very very well. I've got another a wildlife group that has asked for my assistance, and it's pro bono. And so I, I like putting those in place. I'm working on a workshop. I just got the attorney lined up and I'm calling it. See, I did it. I'm going to show you the graphic. <laughs> what to do before you the bucket? <laughs> yeah. And we're going to do, you know, some of the, the practical stuff, you know, the legal docs, the trust, the wills, the durable power of attorney. But then I will also talk about writing legacy letters and legacy stories and sharing those aspects. So there'll be an attorney and there'll be me. And I'm thinking, I pitch this, when I write articles for, and I write for a lot of different publications, I always pitch it first to see if they're interested. And I pitch this for one, what to do before you kick the bucket. And she said, oh, I love it. How fast can you get it to me? So I will wind up having an e-booklet along, we'll use it in this workshop. And I, there's another nonprofit that I just mentioned that she said, oh, can you come and do it for us too? Wow. Sounds like you've bookended it. Like you started off transitioning from helping nonprofits raise money and now you're closing with helping nonprofits raise money. I've had others. I apologize. You're not closing. It's just this current chapter. Yeah. Some people have said, you're you're returning like you were a professor years ago and now you're back doing a lot more teaching. And it's like, I think it's helpful if we like as we go forward, you know, new directions that we build on or for me, it has been build on what I had before and move forward. And yeah, I love every morning I wake up, it's like, oh boy, another day. And what am I working on today? So if, if a nonprofit or somebody out here, you know, hears this and says, I'd really like to connect with you. How do they do that? They can go to my website, which is just my name, Kathleen Real, R-E-H-L.com. And then there's a, if you want to chat further, there's a contact Click on that and then it just, you fill out your name and your email address and we go for there. And the fact that we're talking is evidence that you respond. So I thank you for coming on and I appreciate your time. And I don't do everything that people ask me for, but I have fun picking out things like like you, Jonathan. Thank you very much, Kathleen. Thank you very much. This has been fun. That's one of my Fs, right? So. Yeah, it is fun. It's fun. It's not always light, but it's fun. Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks for listening. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at mindful.money. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash mindful money. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. 